Sanna, and I'm on the women's ministry teaching team. This week, we'll be starting 1 Peter chapter 1 and going through right till the beginning of chapter 2. Even though the introduction is so brief at the beginning of the study, it gives us so much to work with. This letter has five main characters, Peter, us, the exiles, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Through the narratives of the gospel, we see Peter go from being a stumbling block to a solid rock. This is important because he is living proof of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus for God himself. And his audience would be aware of that. Remember, the recipients of this letter are facing persecution for their faith. Peter refers to them as exiles in a foreign land using Old Testament imagery. The importance of this is as relevant to his audience then, and because the word of God is alive, it is relevant to us today. Even though we are God's elect, we are exiles in this world. John 15, 19 says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Peter summarizes the role of each person in the trilogy in such a way that allows us to better understand the trilogy works, how the trilogy works with regard to our salvation. For example, the Trinitarian formulation states that the Father is the one who plans salvation. The Son is the one that executes the plan by becoming one of us, suffering, dying, and being resurrected and ascending to heaven. And the Holy Spirit is the one that takes the results of all of this and applies them to us. For example, my husband and I just bought a house. Yay! We had a whole team of individuals that had to work in collaboration to ensure that everything went well. First, there had to be a house to buy. This initially takes an architect and a general contractor who plan the whole thing. Then come in the builders who actually build the house. Third, there are those who make it possible for us to move into the house. This is realtors, bankers, and the friends that help you move, especially during a pandemic. They're the real MVPs. In this analogy, God the Father is the designer, choosing us for salvation and determining our salvation to happen through Jesus' death and resurrection. God the Father is the one that plans when Jesus will return. Jesus then is the skilled tradesman, accomplishing the work of salvation. He is the one who becomes human, gathers and trains disciples, dies on the cross and is raised from the dead. He's the one who will turn in the end to set up God's kingdom on earth. And finally, the Holy Spirit is the realtor, the banker, and those MVPs I was telling you about earlier. He's the one that gets us in the house. He teaches us who God is and convinces us that our current living situation is terrible and that we should accept the offer of salvation from God. He's the one that helps us believe and understand what Jesus has done. The Holy Spirit helps us obey and pray. He's the one that dwells in us, empowering us to enjoy and experience the salvation God planned and Jesus enacted. God the Trinity has every aspect of the process of salvation covered. Right away, Peter introduces us to the concept of a new birth, one brought about by salvation through Jesus Christ. Peter describes salvation as a birth into two things, a living hope and an inheritance. This living hope is a result of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and the inheritance usually refers to some tangible and intangible aspects of salvation, such as eternal life, new relationships in the family of God, a new purpose for life, 
a kingdom, heaven's riches, and spiritual power. Just how being born into a biological family gives you both physical life and access to family resources and possessions, being born into God's family brings both eternal life and access to the riches of heaven. God is both keeping an inheritance for us in heaven, as well as keeping us safe for our inheritance. If you are experiencing persecution and suffering, life often appears out of control. But God is always in control, fully. Our salvation is not dependent on current circumstances. It has already been accomplished. God is just waiting for the right time to reveal it. Although James uses the same languages, language as Peter in reference to trials, James speaks heavily of trials resulting in the refinement and strengthening of one's faith. Peter, on the other hand, instead focuses on the final product, that faith has been proven as genuine. Both God's glory and believers' participation in that glory are strong themes throughout this letter. God expresses his loves for believers by shielding them and caring for them during times of suffering. Therefore, even though believers do not see Jesus during this time, they grow in their love for him through suffering. Peter using the term believe in him paired with the verb love emphasizes that Peter has in mind a personal trust in Jesus and a relationship with him. It's not just a statement that we are Christians. It's a statement that we are dependent on him in the midst of suffering and trials of daily life. The result of this active trust is joy, joy in the midst of trials, not of all believers, but only of those who are loving Jesus and placing their trust in him during those trials. We begin with setting our hope on the future grace that is to come to believers. When we do that, we realize that we are different from the world around us and that God commands us to be holy and therefore separated us from the world in which we live. Disentangling our identity and behavior from the world prepares us for the command to fear God, which means to submit to him, trust him, put our hope in him, love him, obey him, and serve him alone. Having a right orientation in our relationship with God then prepares us to love our neighbors as ourselves. When Jesus returns, the world and its values will be destroyed and we will be children of God. Therefore, we are free to be holy now. When Jesus returns, God will impartially judge all believers. Therefore, we should give ourselves to serving and obeying him now. When Jesus returns, the relationship that we have with believers will continue for eternity. We should devote ourselves to loving these people now. Set your hope is the very first command in this letter. Setting your hope on the grace to come is a more specific way of preparing our minds for action. And it happens through a process of mental discipline whereby we take the focus off of ourselves and our present circumstances. Focus instead on the future and allow our future to determine our present. Being holy includes not confirming any longer to the lifestyle we had before Christ. Instead, understanding that God is judge and is central to being able to live in fear of God and God alone. Fearing God and loving God are two sides of the same coin. Fearing God comes about by realizing the depth of God's love for us and even before the foundation of the world, God purposed to redeem us using the infinitely precious blood of his own son. And finally, in order to love one another fervently, 
we must realize that this is the goal of purifying ourselves through the gospel and is the only thing that is everlasting. Having finished imploring us to be who we are, Peter shifts gears and wants to encourage us to become who we are. There are two directives here. The first is to put off evil and the second is to crave the Lord. The verb of ridding oneself of evil practices is mentioned multiple times in the New Testament. Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Hebrews, and James. In Acts, the literal usage is in reference to clothing. Just as you wouldn't take off a pair of dirty undies at the end of the day just to put them back on again the next morning. Because that's gross. Likewise, Peter does not intend for us to rid ourselves of malice or deceit, etc. only to take them back up again.